Zach Servideo from Boston Speaks Up. I'm here with the sponsor, Reed. Silicon Valley Bank is a proud sponsor of Boston Speaks Up for more than 35 years. Silicon Valley Bank has helped innovative companies and their investors move bold ideas forward fast. SVB provides targeted financial services and expertise through its offices at 53 State Street in downtown Boston and in Newton and innovation centers around the world. With commercial, international, and private banking services, SVB helps address the unique needs of Boston's innovators. Learn more at svb.com. Zach Servideo here from Boston Speaks Up. I'm here with my good friend and the CEO of Good Path, Bill Giannoukas. Hi, Bill. Hey, Zach. How are you? I'm doing well, brother. Thanks, thanks for uh, for joining me over the phone. This is the uh, second conversation, second podcast I've ever done over the phone, and uh, I've been a little nervous to go this route because I really like the in-person connectivity you develop um, having these podcast discussions. But you and I have known each other for some years. We've been talking about doing a podcast for a while. Good Path is doing some really amazing things to provide, um, to really be a resource guide um, to help folks um, consume important information um, around uh, improving their health and just, um, you know, maintaining good health during the coronavirus outbreak. So I'm glad that we were able to connect um, during the pandemic we're in. So I really, I, I do appreciate the time and I'm looking forward to sharing with the Boston community and beyond what you're up to. Um, I'm excited to be on the call today. Yeah. Th thanks a lot, Bill. And what I'm going to do is I'm just going to, you know, one of listeners recently gave some good feedback. So what I've been doing is I, I'm going to read the summary that's going to eventually uh, precede the, uh, the post and the podcast when we get it up on Boston. So I'm going to read through that and we can kind of, you know, flow in a conversation and let listeners get to know you. So Bill Giannoukas is the co-founder and CEO of Good Path, an e-commerce marketplace aiming to democratize wellness with access to research-backed natural products. Good Path combines machine learning, big data, and natural language processing to generate customized data science-powered wellness product recommendations to customers. Giannoukas is no stranger to entrepreneurial pursuits and successful exits. He and his Good Path co-founder, Carl Neme, sold their social media startup Trumpet to Wayfair in 2016. Bill went on to spend two years running Wayfair's mobile app team. Prior to that, Giannoukas was a co-founder and chief product officer at Haywire, which was acquired by Salesforce in 2014. Giannoukas has local roots and studied computer engineering at Tufts University in his hometown, Medford, Massachusetts. Um, and Bill, you and I met actually during those, those haywire years. Um, so I have a good sense of your career, at least, at least in a bridge version, um, from haywire forward to today. Uh, but for, for listeners and for myself, would love to kind of unpack a little bit of, um, you know, your upbringing, sort of your, your unique local perspective on Boston having grown up in the area. Um, so just, you know, and I think right off the bat in the pre-podcast questionnaire, like I asked you about your childhood and you really identify, um, strongly as a first generation U S, um, immigrant with your Greek heritage. Um, what was it like growing up, um, in Medford as sort of a Greek American, um, you know, a couple decades back? 
So um, while Tufts is in Medford, I actually grew up in Somerville. So okay. if you're from Somerville, you tell someone, someone you're from Medford, that could be uh, typically uh, fighting words back in the day. So, <laughs> uh, so uh, yeah, I grew up in Somerville, uh, first generation, uh, a typical immigrant childhood. Uh, parents were very Greek. Uh, Somerville was very multi- multicultural at that time. Uh, everybody brought their unique backgrounds to the city. Um, worked hard, had high goals. Parents were very... Uh, you know, drove us really hard, uh, both me and my sister, uh, went through the Somerville uh, school system, uh, got to experience uh, what it was like being uh, growing up near the city, uh, but not necessarily in Boston proper. Um, so uh, really got to experience a lot of different flavors of life by having uh, the opportunity to grow up in Somerville. I also spent just about every other summer as a kid in Greece, so really had a uh, Good understanding of the world, probably more so than most of my other friends growing up, uh, really opened up my eyes as to how different everybody is and, you know, how uh, similar we still are, but how culturally uh, differences there were uh, from one uh, ethnic group to the other. Cool. And, you know, it's funny. I messed up the Somerville Medford thing. So I I seem to recall you having some good stories about... um, the celebrity Maria Menounos who grew up in Medford, Massachusetts. Did you know the Menounos family growing up? Cause like that, like, I feel like the Greek heritage probably connected you guys in the area. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Right. So, um, one of my best friends was her first cousin and, uh, her, we went to the same church. I know Maria since she was a little kid. Uh, so as part of uh, growing up in that same church in Somerville, uh, we all were pretty close. So, I've, you know, we grew up together. Her and my sister played uh, the equivalent of CYO basketball, which was Goya basketball. So uh, we've been uh, family friends for a very long time. Oh, very cool. Very cool. Uh, so talk about the the, the choice, which I, I think it's it, it probably seemed like an easy choice for you, like the combination of liberal, liberal arts and engineering at Tufts University is, is um, pretty top-notch. But can you talk a bit about, like, the decision process to go to Tufts and like what you were looking to get out of that experience and, and would love for you to, to share with listeners, um, you know, your first, first startup idea that you executed at Tufts. So when I was graduating high school, uh, I wanted to go to a really strong engineering program, but uh, to a school that wasn't simply an engineering school, but more well-rounded and had a really strong liberal arts program. So uh, most people don't know, but I was uh, one class away uh, shy from getting also uh, a second major in history at Tufts. So I really enjoyed uh, and looked forward to having a liberal arts and engineering education at the same time. Uh, While at Tufts, uh, one of the engineering competitions that I was involved in was a biomedical engineering competition. And for that competition, I built a device that helped blind people navigate public spaces. Uh, what it did was it was a local device that sat uh, on your person and was able to uh, receive a signal from all public signs. And that signal was translated uh, through a headpiece and would tell you what the sign actually said. So when the blind person would walk into a building, they would say, hey, room one through 10 on the left, room 11 through 20 on the right. And they would get that information as they were navigating. Uh, Came in first in the competition. My uh, professor that was running it said that I should uh, go try to patent it and uh, go try to create a company. He thought it was a really good idea. 
And uh, when we were trying to follow the patent, when we started doing the research, we had noticed that someone had filed a very similar patent just six months earlier at an old age institution somewhere mm. in Texas. So it was the first time that I got that entrepreneurial spirit to go do something on my own. I was really exciting. Uh, it was a little disheartening, but at the same time, I think really uh, was a driving factor of me uh, working at that early stage of finding like product to market fit and growing ideas with the companies. Oh, cool. Um, and the, the, the liberal arts and sort of like history interest, um, we, we, that's a common interest of ours. I actually did a minor in history in college and I think it's, it's always valuable when you're developing, you know, interesting, innovative, you know, products, whether you're developing them like you are, or, or sort of marketing them like I am to kind of be able to draw on history. Um, so I'm just like, even to this day, like I spend a lot of time down historical rabbit holes, understanding like how other, um, you know, innovation movements sort of progress, like what, you know, what were the inner workings of like companies around the industrial rev revolution, et cetera. Um, and maybe, maybe offline we can geek out on some, uh, some book recommendations since we probably have some extra time on our hands. Um, Absolutely. Give, given the physical distancing, which, um, which as another side note, how are you doing? You're an extrovert like me. The two of us really like to be around people. I think we, we both even flirted with the idea of like doing this podcast in your basement, but then I feel like we want to like, we, we want to set a good example, but I mean, you, you love people as much as I do. How, how are things going for you, Bill? You know, uh, you're right. We're both extroverts. Um, I love human interaction. Uh, I love being around people. I love interacting with people. Grew up in a very large family. I have 18 first cousins, and we're very close. Um, being, uh, you know, in essence, locked up for the past three to four weeks has been emotionally difficult. And um, I spent a lot more time, uh, I would say, over the last couple of weeks, uh, FaceTiming, uh, friends and family all over the world, just having those interactions. Um, you also know I'm a big fan of Dunkin' Donuts. Uh, so I still get up every morning and go to my drive-through Dunkin' Donuts. And that's like the only interaction that I have with someone outside my media family for most days. So right. uh, try to get a little bit of that in still. But in general, we've been isolating. Uh, my wife, though, uh, still lives, is going through her normal, you know, routine of going to the hospital every day. So um, she's uh, gets up every morning. She's a pain management uh, doctor and she's going into uh, the hospitals every day and she gets to have that human interaction. So I guess I've been probably asking her more about her day to day interactions than I ever have before, uh, which is a plus. Uh, she enjoys telling me that, but uh, living a little bit vicariously through her at this point. Yeah. I mean, if, if you don't mind, I mean, just unpacking that a little bit, I know. You, so your wife works in pain management, a couple different hospitals. One actually is Holy Family Hospital, which is in my hometown, Methuen, Massachusetts. Um, how, how are you, you know, sort of just managing that process of your wife going and, you know, almost sort of on the, on the front lines, if you will, with, with interacting with a lot of people in the, in, in sort of the healthcare arena, maybe not necessarily that she's treating COVID-19 patients, but she's just, um, increasing her exposure. I mean, imagine she's probably taking yeah. precautions coming home and whatnot, but like how, you know, how's that, how's that for you? How's that for your, uh, for your family? It's really interesting. So it's after a couple of weeks ago, uh, if she was worried, about this and would she do anything different? Uh, would she not practice medicine at this point just to be safer? And her response to me was, 
um, no, you know, I took an oath to be a medical doctor and it's my job to do this. Mm-hmm. So she looks at this as her duty. I, I, you know, it's a, it's not a great parallel, but I look at it as like, you know, when the, uh, in World War II, our soldiers uh, went and fought battles and they felt like it was their duty to do this. They're living in their own personal war zone at this point. Right. And sure. they're doing it out of what's right. Um, and she, uh, takes as many precautions as she possibly can. Um, she believes that the odds of her not contracting the virus are very low. One of her good friends is actually a anesthesiologist um, in Paris, and they were just talking over the weekend, and 18 out of the 19 anesthesiologists at that hospital had uh, contracted the virus. And uh, we're dealing with it. We're going back to the hospital and working uh, with, mm-hmm. it, with masks on just because they had to take care of people. So... Um, we also have my dad who's around, and one of the hard parts is we've isolated him completely, so we don't yeah. see him, uh, and it's been hard on them. Uh, he lost his wife and my mom uh, four years ago, so uh, it's been difficult for him, uh, and it's hard for us to make sure that he keeps on getting connected, and he's an extrovert also. So but dealing with life just, about it, just as everyone else has that, and uh, having her on yeah. the front lines or at the hospital is a little bit scarier, but you know we're dealing with it at this point. Yeah. Well, pre- appreciate you sharing that and, and, um, mad respect to your wife and just all the, the medical professionals that are, um, on the front lines and are, and are abiding by that oath and just like really rising to the occasion. It's, it's remarkable. It's inspiring. Um, let's talk. Uh, so actually just mentioned, you know, you mentioned your father and, and, and alluded to sort of your mother passing away four years ago. I'm sort of, I'm going to, I'm going to jump ahead here a little bit and we can talk and then we can talk a bit about how some of your, your past experience and exits also helped inform good path. But can you talk a bit about, I mean, I know a big um, inspiration behind good path wasn't just, Oh, like I got an e-commerce masters at Wayfair. Like you actually dealt with some real, um, you know, struggles just in identifying a lot of the gaps in the healthcare system when your mother was battling uh, brain cancer, was it four years ago? Yep. Yeah. yeah. So, um, well, my, uh, my mom during the trumpet startup days, uh, my mom was diagnosed with stage four brain cancer and, um, being a problem solver and having a medical doctor as a wife, we were able to, um, really tailor her care to give her the highest quality of life uh, expectancy for the longest time period. Saw a lot of problems in the healthcare system, uh, a lot of gaps in information, uh, a lot of abilities, uh, having known a lot of the power of technology, how we can improve quickly and rapidly um, a lot of the processes that have not been upgraded in modern uh, healthcare systems. And uh, having gone through uh, that with my mom, I really got passionate about trying to improve the quality of life of, um, you know, as many people as possible. So part of the mission of what we're doing, Good Path, is to um, improve the quality of life of all our patients. And it's been one of the driving factors in building this company. So you're right. Uh, Carl and I, after the acquisition, uh, we said we got a PhD in e-commerce the two years that we spent in Wayfair. Uh, we wanted to leverage that PhD in e-commerce and the ability to affect people at scale uh, with e-commerce, but also leverage our own personal stories around healthcare and improving uh, patients' lives. So uh, the Good Path mission is improve quality of life. Uh, we found uh, a really important uh, problem that hasn't been—it's uh, not being solved, which is 
for uh, these common conditions that are not, uh, that don't affect life expectancy, but really affect quality of life, um, back pain, IBS, and insomnia, uh, there are better approaches than what the current medical system can offer. And uh, we believe that our integrative care and bringing that approach to the masses online is really going to affect the quality of life of uh, hopefully millions of uh, patients in the United States. Yeah. So appreciate that. I actually have like, I have like a very personal, I have a personal question and, and I'm curious how Good Path maybe can help me out. So I have a 90 year old grandmother and I, as I believe, you know, um, I was recently at Lawrence Memorial Hospital behind Lawrence Memorial Hospital in Medford. There's a courtyard nursing center and I threw like a little, not big, less than 10 people, minor gathering of um of my cousins to just kind of hold up signs and celebrate my grandmother's 90th birthday because we can't physically visit her right and um shout out to susan tran and you know nbc10 and ecn locally for helping make that into a segment just to help grammy's birthday a little extra special um so my grandmother doesn't have coronavirus um sharp as attack her body's starting to, I wouldn't say fail her, but she's having some real chronic pain, lower back pain. She has sciatica, um, really bad down one leg. Um, and part of the reason she's in the nursing home is she's just having a real hard time walking because of this back and leg, leg pain. And, and what's been really bothering me is just like the process, the long process through which she's been going through just to like go to a specialist, get an MRI, maybe, you know, maybe she can get a cortisone shot to bring down the inflammation. Like all these things that like someone like myself or my wife who have actually both dealt with like lower back pain and gone through the MRI cortisone shot. Uh, process. Uh, it's very difficult for her and even more difficult now during a pandemic. Um, and so I'm like in a mo- moment right now, <laughs> Bill, where yeah. I, it seems to me, um, and from looking at the, you know, what, what good path is, is, um, you know, surfacing and some of the research back to sort of like, um, naturals that, that, that your team is sort of, um, is, is, is bringing to light for folks. Like, I just be curious, like you, cause you mentioned back pain. So like walk me through, and, and maybe with thinking of Grammys or video here, like walk me through like some of the, what are some of the discoveries that you've made as, as a company? How do you arrive at those discoveries? You know, how are they researched back? Like what's the, the prudent approach you take before something is actually your recommendation on good path. And then maybe as, as much as you want to pepper in a little specific, um, recommendation Grammy's way. I, I, the, the whole Servideo family will appreciate it. <laughs> um, awesome. Well, let me start by saying I probably won't give you a recommendation because uh, I'm not part of the medical team that uh, has built all the technology mm-hmm. to give recommendations. So uh, our uh, chief medical advisor, uh, a good friend of mine, co-founder, Afro Fayed, um, he is a Harvard, he's at a Harvard hospital at MGH as a cardiologist, and he's part of our co-founding team to build this out. And he calls us noctors sometimes, which is not doctors. So uh, I will not put my noctor hat on for Grammy the video today, but I will tell you that uh, our goal is to make sure that for the patients that we can provide uh, care for, that we give them a holistic and complete integrative plan for their care. So part of our technology, um, if you actually went online and uh, answered the questions for, uh, as Granny would, for for her back pain, we have a lot of ability to triage for patients that we don't necessarily 
uh, can provide value for it. So I don't necessarily know if she's a perfect candidate. What we say is we try to help people that are between a spectrum of one to 10, 10 being the most severe need surgery or something that's life threatening. We're probably going to be on the one to six scale. So mm-hmm. I don't know how bad your grandmother's um, uh, back pain is, but if she went through our assessment today, uh, I feel confident the assessment would tell us is she a great candidate. And if she is a great candidate, uh, it would put together an integrative solution uh, plan for her. And this will deal from everything from the natural supplements to uh, online yoga classes, if she's capable of them, to a diet plan and a coach uh, that would help her with her diet plan. And we look at um, her entire uh, way of living uh, as well as what she's consuming. And we'll p- put together an entire kit that sh- she would have gotten if she had had access to an integrative care specialist. Okay. One of the things that resonates with our patients is we make this simple, right? Our kits are products that come to you and services that can deliver to you via email. So we, we bring all these services together. And I heard you say a little bit earlier that she's going to a specialist and she's asking for all this information. You have to do that, right? That's what you have to do when you're going through the current healthcare system. But right. For people that have gone through that and they're not getting the value out of that or are not perfectly situated for that, we think that we are going to make it a lot easier uh, to provide that care for you. And outcomes have been great so far. So we're really excited yeah. about how positive the response has been. Uh, we only launched two months ago with back pain and just our current feedback from our early test uh, customers and patients has been super. And we've really had uh, evidence-based backing on all the solutions, but also an integrative health. So we're talking to a large Boston hospital chain and they were telling us that they ran a pilot program and the pilot program it was specifically for back pain. And they tried to build out an integrative health practice locally at the hospital. And the results, quote unquote, were astonishing. Hmm. Uh, and But they couldn't afford it. They didn't have the expertise and didn't have the ability to put these together. And that's where we really are coming in. And we're saying, great, when you know that your patients are, are capable of receiving better care through an integrative approach, they should be working with us. And we think that's the message that we've been going out with to the consumer base is finding the right patients, making sure that they're qualified for our care, and then providing to them a complete solution that's easy and readily accessible for them from their homes. And uh, with telehealth and the proliferation of that, all our services are, uh, we ship you the products. We, all our services are digital. So if you're having a telehealth session with one of our specialists, you can just do it from the comfort of your home. So we're really at a unique point where this COVID epidemic is actually, um, uh, we're providing a really great solution during this time when you can't go see your uh, PCP or you're stuck uh, without the ability to have that contact. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. I mean, it's, it is interesting. And I thought about this when, when you and I were kind of texting about maybe getting on, on, on the phone, you know, to do a podcast in April, because there's a lot of, I mean, basically the health sector is advising folks to be reluctant to go and seeking medical attention unless they're really sick right now. Um, and there's a large, you know, so, so, so the types of, th- so it's interesting because good path hasn't changed what it's focused on, but what it's focused on are things that per, you know, it seems to me folks would be reluctant to go to, to doctors for right now. So, so let's just recap what, what the focus is. You got, you got back pain, right? You got yeah. IBS and yep. then what's the third one? Insomnia is the third one. Insomnia. And are all three of those like up and running? Like Fully launched. We launched yeah. Insomnia two weeks ago. 
Okay. Uh, and they all have complete integrative solutions and plans associated with them. With uh, And that's really our mission is to provide those uh, integrative solutions in a digital way and, you know, uh, democratizing that is what we're using internally as a tool and making sure that people have access to this that uh, in the past would not have or might have been out of their price range. Because some of this integrative care is a really costly out-of-pocket experiences today. Right. And so, and one of the things that I, you mentioned in the pre-podcast um, Q&A is that you, you've reduced prices for up, upwards of 40%. Is that across the yeah. site? Like, and how are you able to do that? And I'm curious, like, you know, how you're fulfilling orders, um, especially during the pandemic. Yeah. So great question. Yeah. So what we said was um, at this time period, we understand that having access to this care is really important to people. And we did not want to make our prices uh, as a reason for people not to get on this. So what we did is we reduced the price for you, anybody to come on to the plan, uh, 40%. So mm-hmm. across the board, we just shut, uh, we cut our prices 40%. Uh, and we said, you know, we're going to take that uh, op- the opportunity to offer this to people. Um, we think it's the right thing to do. And we're excited about that. As part of delivery, we're actually working with a great partner. Um, they're out of Chicago. Um, they are fulfilling all of our orders and all of our uh, shipments. Uh, the SLAs went an extra day out. So instead of two days for most of the United States, we're at three, which I think is acceptable for a lot of our patients at this point in the United States. And then we have all of our products that are digital get sent out instantaneously. And we have a lot of partnerships that provide uh, digital content and digital health. And those are all up and running. So everything is running extremely smoothly. And the other thing is all of our products from the supplement side and from the food side are sourced in the United States. Mm. So all of our uh, manufacturers and suppliers are still producing products. Uh, We have a really good relationship with these guys. Um, so we are fully stocked and are uh, getting out all these solutions in a very timely fashion at this point. That's great. I know like insomnia, it's only been a couple of weeks, like, and it's still like, it's fresh last couple of months, like where you've really just been fully up and running, but there's been a particular change in the world in the last month. Yeah. Is there some data like, you know, like, is, are there any are you noticing any trends through good path? Like just in like the, um, increased at which folks are, are utilizing good path and, you know, since, since, you know, early March mm-hmm. onward, maybe over the last 30 days. I think what's really important is the conditions that we deal with anxiety and stress are big, uh, reasons for people to have these conditions. And part of our integrative solutions are to make sure we tackle those. So why we don't necessarily say we tackle anxiety and stress, the conditions that we are uh, solving for have a big component of anxiety and stress. And mm-hmm. we've definitely seen an increase in anxiety and stress. Um, and the questionnaires that we keep track of, uh, you know, we've seen the actual anxiety and stress scores go up uh, considerably over the past two weeks. Um, so we, we, people are understanding that they're feeling more anxious and have more stress. Um, so, that's coming through on our data side. Um, and, you know, we keep on expanding our product offering to include more and more of those conditions. Um, one of the things we're doing for insomnia, which is really innovative, is we're using a cognitive brain training. And we've partnered up with uh, a local Harvard-trained physician who ran a study for CBT uh, on sleep uh, versus Ambien. 
and uh, we're working with him to customize our program and making sure that we offer this really uh, great um, behavioral training program uh, that affects people's sleep. And as you're dealing with anxiety, and again, I'm not a doctor, so I'm just going to be my doctor hat on, um, uh, you know, b- being able to get uh, sleep and, uh, you know, boosting your immune system. Uh, sleep always helps boost your immune system. So we think it's a really big opportunity for us to help overall, um, you know, minimize the effect of COVID as much as possible. Yeah. And I guess on we a, actually on a re- had a great, yeah, we had a great, um, uh, a great article that we published on our coronavirus uh, part of the site that uh, this week was, you know, how to leverage our um, nutritionist and like what are the best foods to be eating uh, in this time and how to really try to boost your immune system. And this is all data that we have from, you know, medical professionals that are on our team. This is not going to be like a media blast or some marketing campaign. This is all proven from, you know, uh, different organizations, different studies, uh, we have a really high bar as to what we put yeah. on our site from both products and services. And uh, most of our content around um, the coronavirus, you know, is stuff that you'll see from the CDC, from the WHO, and then our medical team reviews it and tries to create a really common language for people to understand what that means. Uh, so we've really been uh, proud of the content, and the content has been great for us it's been getting out there people are sharing it more so than any of our other content and uh, we're really proud of the company to be offering uh this easy to understand but medically backed content from our medical team right this is called being in the flow because when i was going to chime in there like two minutes back it was literally to bring up good pat's coronavirus advice page um and you started to to poke into that and and i'd like to kind of unpack it a bit more because when we were going back and forth pre-podcast um you you know you share obviously you know you you shared some you know some insights which you just alluded to like uh, regarding you know this is all like you know Met, you know, medical or, or doctor backed sort of um, advice and resources that are helping guide people during uh, coronavirus. But you all, and you also mentioned that, you know, a lot of folks that are contributing to that sort of advice page that the, the coronavirus resource guide, the good path has up on its site, which we'll make sure is in the article that we put up on Boston. Oh, um, they're folks that are on the front lines right now. Um, so can you just kind of like talk through like, what was the idea for putting together this coronavirus advice page? How quickly did that come together? You know, what's the sort of size and scope of the, you know, advisor group that's involved? Yeah. Uh, because it's, it's done really well. It's, 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 it's very impressive and, and, and clearly yeah, important. So, you know, I think it's, you know, it's really appreciated. And I, I certainly, it's one of the reasons I want to talk to you is to kind of share that with the world and say, Hey, here's a great, you know, matter of fact resource guide from medical professionals that could be really helpful for you and for loved ones. Absolutely. So what's really interesting is uh, one of our uh, marketing people, the head of marketing, is out of Spain. And um, she lives in Spain, uh, and she saw firsthand what was going on there earlier than we did in Boston. Mm -hmm. So she was a big advocate of uh, making sure that we do something and try to help people. She saw that information was hard to get, information... um, you know, different media outlets were publishing different stuff, and it wasn't really medical proven or medical grade. And we have over 15 medical professionals on our team. So this includes everything from doctors, as you mentioned, to uh, pharmacists. Uh, and pharmacists are great. They vet all our products, and we make sure we have a high bar to uh, physical therapists, to nutritionists. 
And we put together a plan on like, what's the most common questions people are asking? What are some of the information that we can weed through the noise and create high quality content that makes it easy for people? Uh, as of last week, our nutritionist raised her hand and said, like, hey, I think we can do a great article around, uh, you know, boosting your immune system. That's how that article was created. So uh, we really empowered our entire medical team uh, to uh, speak up when they think that there's something that's being misinformed or where information needs to get out there correctly. And uh, our team's been able to turn these around in, you know, uh, days and been able to get them published and out there uh, for people to consume. And it's cross-functional. It's everything from our writing team. So we have writers that have been writing for Healthline and other publications for years as part of our team now. And uh, getting the medical content, being able to, uh, you know, transcribe it accurately in a very common uh, format, so it's easy mm-hmm. to understand, has become one of our superpowers. Uh, and our condition pages, and uh, we've been working on these now for six months, uh, really was uh, our test case to getting that done correctly. And now we can create awesome content that's, uh, that is easy to consume and medically proven really quickly at this point. That's great. Um, it's sort of uh, tangential to this, and, and it's kind of along the lines of something you mentioned a bit earlier, but you, you're sort of alluding to partnering with like primary care facilities to provide assistance to patients. And I'm just curious, like, as far as like go to market strategy is, con- is concerned, like, do you feel like is Good Path really anchoring into a, a local Boston and beyond, but certainly local Boston? Um, health facilities to help get in front of humans, patients to help them? Um, what is sort of, what has been the the manner in which you're sort of impressing upon folks what it is that Good Path is doing? Because as, as you and I know, um, it's it easier said than done, right? There's a, it's a lot out there in the world and sort of like cut through the noise and make sure that, um, because what Good Path does is incredibly um, valuable to such a large um, amount of people. Um, but could you speak a bit to sort of what your plans were and maybe how they've evolved a bit just to make sure that you're like as efficiently as possible, creating economies of scale to just help the most, um, possible. So a hundred percent, we're, uh, you know, a company that's focused at the, at the consumer level. So our goal is to get the consumers, um, get, um, get them the care that they need. So, uh, our plan has always been, since we're focused around the consumer, we have to have a great consumer experience. And um, as we were building out this plan, um, we've been able to date, Zach, to give out over 30,000 plans, even through our beta and our early launch date. So the numbers have been great from consumers. Mm-hmm. We also realized over the past month with our network of the Boston healthcare professionals that make up our team, that there is a gap and the gap right now is that primary care facilities, the only way that they're dealing with the customers is through telemedicine. And they're really only dealing with more of the chronic conditions than necessarily the common ones that we've been dealing with. So we said, this is an opportunity for us to help the consumer again. And if we can quickly provide uh, assistance for these doctors to um, get their patients that need this type of care, then we should be going after that. So the way that we look at this is it's another a way or a channel for us to get customers into using Good Path, joining our programs, and getting better outcomes for themselves. And um, we think, you know, it's the right thing to do. Uh, getting, helping these primary care facilities and hospital groups, um, getting, giving them access to this type of platform, 
um, and doing it quickly. So we just started reaching out about two weeks ago and the, and the feedback's been great. I mean, we're building the airplane a little bit as we start taking off here. We're like, we, we capture all this data. We'll want to feed it back into your system. So when you're having your yearly checkup six months from now, you have all the data of how people are doing. So um, we know what we will be doing in the future, but we've been just trying to get uh, the patients to get on the platform as quickly as possible so that their outcomes improve. And we know we're building more technology and systems to improve it as we uh, become more mature as a company. That's great. Um, the, one of the sort of last questions I wanted to kind of unpack a bit, there's a couple more things I want to talk about, but it was one of the last questions I asked you pre-podcast and I, I absolutely loved your answer and I couldn't agree more, but just talking about sort of your favorite thing about Boston's innovation community, you, you, chat, you talked a bit about sort of the, the chip on our collective shoulders. Um, I always like to say that, you know, Boston has sort of, you know, we're a mix of like, we're gritty and like, and, and, and humble, but with like, with a fair bit of, um, collective, you know, bravado and something to prove, uh, because we do sort of generally, uh, live in the shadow of New York and certainly the Bay area. Um, but I, you know, when you, when you consider all that's going on in Boston, it's like all the, some of the biggest innovations in the world are just hiding in plain sight out of Boston. Um, and so obviously, you know, one of the big things with even just this, this little podcast Boston speaks up is, is part of a storytelling initiative to just bring more light to, you know, amazing things happening from, from, uh, you know, from, from the Boston innovation community, but you know, talk to me about how that's an advantage for you and how that's, how you felt that's been an advantage for you personally as an entrepreneur, but also as, um, as a co-founder of several companies now in Boston. Yeah. So, um, I, you know, we, we've had this conversation for years, right? We've always had the chip on our shoulders. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're not the Bay Area. We're not New York. Uh, I think what that's done is it unites us as a community. It really uh, brings us all together. I think everybody is looking out for the common good of other Boston companies. So at GoodPath, um, you know, when we're deciding between two relatively similar partners, if one of those companies is based out of Boston, we will always go with that company. Um, there's two reasons why I actually think that's really useful. One, um, it helps the local economy. It helps the the local innovation economy. It brings more innovation to the region, which uh, I'm a big proponent of. I also think because of the close knit community that we are, we're always one degree of separation away from somebody who is uh, playing a significant role in that company. Mm. So I'll give you an example. Over the past year, as we're building out the company and the technology, uh, we were trying to figure out who we're going to use for email marketing and who we're going to use for our e-commerce engine. And we ended up going with Clavio and Molten, two Boston-based companies. And the reason was uh, we were able to reach over to their executives and to key team members there and were able to ask questions and get quick responses. Yeah. Um, our CTO of GoodPath, uh, was a CTO and co-founder, Runkeeper. Uh, his connections in Boston are great. Um, you know, having done this now for 20 years in Boston, uh, my network is also very wide. And we were just able to pick up the phone and say, hey, what's going on here? Will this help us? Is this the right solution? And it's even been great after we've deployed these solutions. When we have a question and something's not going right, um, the treatment, the uh, level of uh, hand-holding that we get is going to be much greater and has been much greater than if it would have been with another company. So uh, by default, our instincts always uh, to try to uh, boost Boston-based companies 
uh, when we can. And, uh, you know, I definitely feel like we've had our chip on our shoulders. And remember, we we're doing Haywire. Uh, they're like, you're doing a consumer company out of Boston. Consumer companies don't work out of Boston. <laughs> and uh, I was happy that we were able to prove them wrong on that one. So um, very excited to keeping it local, making sure that we keep local talent, making sure that we foster great companies and great work experiences here. That's great. That begs the question, what is it like to raise money in Boston, right? And and I'd be curious, I mean, I want you to speak specifically to sort of the four great VCs that you now have involved um, in the $4 million round you did last, last June. What was it like? You know, you've, ra- you've raised money before. You've, uh, you've sold companies. You've to that you've been a co-founder in to Salesforce to Wayfair, to Wayfair. I mean, these are household names. Like no one needs to go on Google who, who Salesforce and Wayfair are. Yeah, um, yeah. What was it like to go to Boston VCs? And did you? And, and you know, I know you you, you did um, have some great success with some some venture capital um, partners in in New York. But can you kind of talk about that process and talk about like because in my view, Boston still has ways to go to funding not only consumer companies, but pre-revenue companies. Actually, this you know the this current sponsor of this podcast, Silicon Valley Bank, shout out to Jesse Bardo. But we talk about this a lot, like SVB is putting in a lot of work to um, to help encourage uh, more sort of pre-revenue um, investments from, from the VC community of Boston. Uh, but can you unpack that a little bit? Like what's the experience has been like for you over the years? Have they changed at all? Do you feel like that, you know, do you feel like this is the case what I'm outlining and, and sort of would love for you to, to shed a little light too on, on those sort of partners that you selected, um, for good path and why? Yeah, absolutely. So, Our goal uh, when we were raising money wasn't necessarily to be Boston-focused. It was to be finding the right partners for the business we're trying to build and being able to leverage their expertise, uh, their knowledge uh, as a a good VC. So we ended up picking as our lead investor a company called GFC, which is Global Founders Collective. Um, They are one of the largest uh, pre-early-stage funds that focus on e-commerce. They have a bunch of success stories um, and a very large fund with a deep expertise in this space. So for us, they were the perfect partner to lead the round. And then our goal was to uh, bring on other uh, venture capital firms that could always add value. And one of the things that we looked at was, all right, we should get a a Boston-based one. uh, We should get a a San Francisco-based one. Um, and we ended up picking two firms. So Switch is out of uh, the Bay Area, uh, great access to talent and uh, the uh, ecosystem there, which was important to us for being in Boston. We wanted to have access to that when we needed to. And then we picked a local one uh, with Indicative Ventures being between here and New York. And they've been a great partner of ours. Um, so for us, all four of the firms that we picked were strategic around what's going to give us the highest likelihood of success. Uh, and uh, we're really excited to have them on board as our uh, first uh, VC funds. The fourth one is actually Blind Spot Ventures. Uh, that's mm-hmm. another one that's really focused on local-based uh, companies. They've done an awesome job of uh, coming on board early. They're a smaller fund, mm-hmm. but their emphasis is on local like engineering, uh, talent, and what they can do. And we met them super early on. Uh, they came to us. Uh, and they've been one of our earliest partners. They were so passionate about what we were doing in the space um, that we said, you know, that we had to keep them on board. And to this date, uh, really positive, very forward thinking, uh, and have been a great partner for us uh, since June. 
Cool. It blind spots also out of Boston. So blind spot is out of Boston and New York. So I would say they're both, but the partner that we're dealing with is out of Boston. Oh, cool. Uh, a shout out. I don't typically do yeah. it, but Ahmed Hentati is our uh, Boston-based partner. Great guy. Nice. That's awesome. Um, so as we're running up against time, Bill, I mean, anything else, um, any parting advice for young entrepreneurs, like anything else that we haven't got a chance to cover that you'd love to share with the community? Um, you know, we were originally, I think one of the most interesting things is to really care and be passionate about what you're building. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it's really a difficult thing to start a company. Uh, I think it's an even more difficult thing is to have a company succeed. And I think you have to be really passionate about what you're doing. And it becomes much easier to be building something that you really care about. Uh, I've been lucky that uh, for the last three startups that I've co-founded that I've really cared about everything that we're doing. And this one um, hitting home more than any other ones and actually seeing um, people uh, improving in their quality of life is just magical. Uh, I get excited every day to get up and just try to solve complicated problems. And it's uh, been super um, enjoyable to be building this team and building this business. And when you're doing something that you care about, you know, this is so cliche, it doesn't feel like work. It really doesn't. It feels like you're doing something good. So um, I I would say just my high-level advice is always be building companies that you're really passionate about. Beautiful. Bill, really appreciate it. I'm looking forward to when – when this pandemic subsides and, and, and us two extroverts can get together again and come visit your, uh, your beautiful office in Cambridge. But in the meantime, you know what? be well. I, I, yeah. think, uh, I, yeah. I, I think we need to go visit Sarma for a local yeah. dinner and drink, uh, being some of the boys. Uh, I think that'd be useful. That's right. Like, as you put it in the, in the pre-podcast Q and a, one of the, one of the int- most interesting restaurants in the country right now, that was actually one thing we didn't, we didn't talk about, but for folks that, that don't know, I think everyone, a lot of people, to this podcast know the new Boston by now, but the the culinary scene in, in in Somerville and Somerville adjacent where you grew up is just completely transformed into something next level. Man, I, you know, Somerville used to be a, a place called the Paddock. Uh, the Paddock <laughs> had a lot of dark, older Cadillacs outside when I was a kid. It was at the end of my parents' street. And uh, when they built Sarma there, I was just completely flabbergasted. And it's one of my favorite places to go to. Uh, I'm a big-time foodie, as as are you. Yeah. We share a lot of recommendations, and I can't believe how many of those recommendations are uh, local to some of them these days. Seriously. Um, yeah, so Sarma, so Sarma date. We got a mandate when this is Great. all done. I'll, and I'll see you there. Awesome. Good luck to you. And, and again, like much love to your wife and, and her on, on, the front, you know, on the front lines and just wishing you and your family um, and your extended family, all your loved ones, good health. Thank you very much. Same to you. I uh, hope we get out of this uh, all a little stronger and a little more tight knit as a community. I, I think we'll, just on my parting notes, it's yeah. been great walking around my neighborhood at night and just seeing so many more people uh, yeah. practicing social distancing, but like getting to recognize who their neighbors are. Uh, yeah. I think that's one of the you know silver outlines from uh, from this pandemic. Yeah, I couldn't I couldn't agree more. I couldn't agree more. Thank, Bill, this has been a pleasure, man. I, and I'll, I'll talk to you soon. And, and cheers, Thanks, Boston. Bill. Yeah. Take care. All right. Bye. All right. Bye. Bye.